0: Our society is obsessed with love, it's obsessed with relationships. Uh, think about when was the last time you saw a movie or read a book or watched a sporting event that didn't include some sort of connection to one of the characters' love life. Like we can't watch Star Wars now without some sort of like epic ending, right, with, of love. If you've seen the end of Star Wars, you know what I'm talking about. We can't, you know, watch Harry Potter without two of the main characters falling in love. We can't watch the Super Bowl without Pat Mahomes, you know, relationship status update. It's just like no matter what we're doing, we're obsessed with love. And sometimes I'm just like, we might want a break a little bit from this. But the truth is, is that we, a lot of us just, there's just this longing, an obsession almost for, for love and for other people's love life. But the truth is, is as much as there's an obsession for it, really, we we look around and, and really most of us are pretty bad at relationships. Most of us are pretty bad at love. Even for Christians, we're average at best at it. You know, you come in this room tonight, and, and you may be single, or you may be sort of dating someone. You know, you know what I'm talking about—the sort of dating thing where it's like, are we dating? Are we not? Where you know that thing. Or you might be for sure dating someone, or you might be seriously dating someone. You might be engaged to someone, or you might be married in this room. But the good thing about God's word tonight is it's not going to return void for anyone. That there is there is uh, there is something to hear tonight from the word, because the truth is is that as Christians, most of our singles. We're not fulfilled, we're longing for more as singles. Most of our dating couples as Christians, many times we're in shambles, we're hanging by a thread in our relationship. Many times our engagements as Christians are filled with stress, they're filled with tensions, and then you have our marriages, which have the same divorce rate as those of non-Christians. I mean, we are not great at relationships, that's the truth. That's the thing that needs to be said from the start, is that the truth is that we're not great at relationship. There's there's nothing special about being a Christian. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're automatically great at relationships. And so because that's true, we need to look to the word tonight. We need to, to come around as a, as a body of, of Christ around these tables and to say, how can I grow in this? How can I honor God in my relationships? Whether I'm single, I'm dating, I'm engaged, or I'm married. This is the calling for everyone. And so it's so important for us tonight. Just the last thing I want to say before we get to the tables, it's so critical for us tonight to talk about this as a church and to look at what the word says because if we don't look at it as a church if we don't look at it from the word then what's going to teach us is everything but the church everything but the word every time we turn on the tv or we turn on social media or we turn on anything we will be taught about relationships and so tonight we need to go to the word and say lord what do you have to say about this So whether you're single, dating, engaged, or married in this room, I hope you'll turn on just sort of your your receptors tonight to receive from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, because I I truly believe that there's something for everyone in this word tonight. We're going to go to the tables for just about five or six minutes in this first section.
1: Discussion questions part one. Why do you think most Christian relationships don't look that much different from non-Christian relationships, whether they be dating, engaged, or married? Question two. Besides the Bible, what are other places where you might learn about how a relationship should work? These can be healthy or unhealthy sources to learn from.
0: We are going to move into sort of a time of teaching, so feel free to look at the back wall if you want, or if you want to turn your chair, you're welcome to do that as well. But I would ask you to look at the Word with me. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone, make sure you have that in front of you. It'll also be on the screen if you've got one of those two things, Uh, and it's in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, which is right in the middle of the New Testament, which means you're probably like towards the very, very end of your Bible if you're looking for Ephesians. Galatians is before it then Ephesians, and then Philippians. Did you grow up? God eats peanut butter cookies. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Any church nerds in the house? Okay. (laughs) Ephesians chapter five. So here's the thing about dating and love and marriage, right? There's so much great content out there for Christians, Incredible books, incredible podcasts, incredible sermons. this is my uh, my tenth semester as the college pastor here at Highland, and I have never once preached on this subject, one, never one time because I just didn 't feel a burden to do it, so we 'll see how it goes, and then maybe we 'll wait another ten semesters okay and so but one of the reasons I didn't is because there's just so much great content out there. I mean, even in our own town, JP over at Harris Creek has some incredible resources on podcasts. He even has a book called Outdated coming out next week that you should all buy because I'm sure it's going to be incredible. Uh, there's, there are other people like Tim Keller who has an incredible book called The Meaning of Marriage. Or uh, Gary Clark who has uh, some books called The Sacred Search or or The Sacred Marriage. I mean, these are just incredible resources that I've read. I'm sure there are literally dozens of Besides that, tonight what I want to do is I want to be very simple, but I hope there's, there's a supernatural power to it, is I want to just look at what the Word says. I don't want it to be dating advice with Drew and Holly, okay? That's what I don't want to happen tonight. I don't want to say, what does the Word say? So Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to go together, and to begin, we're just going to be in the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what it says. I'm reading out of the NIV if you're on your smartphone tonight. Follow God's example, therefore. As dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, what I want to do is just zone in, especially on verse two, right now. Tonight might be a great night to take notes. Uh, I tried to, to organize what's on the screen tonight to to look like what might look like in your notes, uh, in your notebook, or in your notes app on your phone. What we're going to do is just take this really phrase by phrase and say, Lord, what is in the word for me as it relates to love, as it relates to dating, or whether I'm single, I'm dating, I'm engaged, I'm married, what does it say for me? The first phrase is, is it says to walk in love. The NIV said to walk in the way of love, but a lot of versions, they're going to say to walk in love, and that's actually why we called this sermon in love is out of this verse right here, chapter or verse two of chapter five. The entire chapter is about love from here on out, but, but it sort of starts out the first half, if you go read this later on. The first half is about sort of this individual love and how you walk in love individually, but then it moves into the second half and it's sort of the more traditional, maybe uh, the, the more famous half of the, of the chapter where it talks about wives and husbands and, and how to walk in love. The interesting thing about walking is that walking implies movement, right? It implies a forward momentum. So the word is telling you that, that when you're walking in love, like there's, there's sort of things that are always changing. There's new seasons. Maybe, you know, the way that you loved in high school is probably immature to the way that you should love in college or the way that you should love be, as a young adult or the way that you should love when you have children. These things change. Or even when the person doesn't, when the person doesn't change, obviously when there's a new person in your life, there's, there's a new way to, to sort of walk in this forward motion with the spirit in love. But even for me and Holly, who have been together for seven or eight years now, we've been married for five and a half years. Like, there, when, when I fell in love with her when we were dating, it was different than the kind of love we when we were engaged. And then when we were married and we were newly married with no kids and, and there was all this time on our hands, it was different than when we started to have all these more responsibilities in our church and in our jobs. And then we started to bring in kids into our house. And, and the, the, there was a forward momentum, right? There's, a, there's an implication in walking that things are going Forward, And and here's why this matters, because if you're single, you're dating, you're engaged, you're married, whatever you are, you're called to walk in love in this particular kind of way, which is what we're going to unpack tonight. The second phrase is just as. So what we're literally doing is just unpacking this verse, phrase by phrase. It says to walk in love just as. Just as is the how to. How do you do it? This is what God is saying. This, what I'm about to tell you from the word, the Lord says, is the exact way. Not a similar way or or, or some way that maybe you you could look like this, that could be tweaked a little bit. It's this way. And what is that way? It comes our next phrase, which is Christ loved. Walk in love just as Christ loved. So if just as was the how to, Christ loved is the standard. Christ's love is now our standard. It's, it's, it's not how your parents loved, it's not the example that you had from your youth pastor, it's not the example that you had from you know, Jim and Pam in the office, it's, it's, it's none of those things. The standard is Christ's love. The standard is how Christ loved, but then who is the, next, is the next word, it's us. Walk in love just as Christ loved us. Us is the example, we are the example. If Jesus is the standard, then we're the example of how we should love, Others and Jesus loved us so much that we should mimic how much He loved us, and we're going to unpack that in more depth as we go forward. I'm just this is sort of an introductory verse for what we're going to talk about tonight. The next phrase I love this is that He gave Himself up for us. If you're the kind of person who circles in your Bible or underlines or highlights or draws big arrows, this is the phrase of the night that He would give Himself up for us. It's the key to godly love, and so so how did Jesus love us by giving Himself? Up. That's a very specific, special kind of love that the Bible's saying, just as, exactly this way, you should love. This is the key to godly loving, to give yourself up for someone else for their gain. And then the last phrase is is sort of longer, longer phrase, but to give himself up as an offering and a sacrifice to God. As an offering and a sacrifice to God. And, And this can simply be summarized by it's our motivation. The motivation was not for the people Jesus was loving. It was not uh, for the people that he was giving himself up for. Actually, the motivation was out of worship and honor to God, which is super important. Because it's telling us that it removes the conditional nature of love off of the one who's receiving the love. So now the motivation is not how much does that person deserve my love or how much have they loved me or, you know, love languages. Like if you didn't love me with my love languages, then I'm not going to love you with your love language. You know, the, the best love language, you know, you think about all these different things like, you know, physical touch or, you know, gifts or all these different things. It's helpful. But honestly, the, the number one love language is die to self. Right? It's just like, man, I just want to just love you like Christ loved me that is the number one love language and it removes our motivation from being how they have been acting your motivation for love is not the other person's worthiness to receive that love your motivation is always to honor and always to worship God it's not their worthiness your motivation is always to honor and to worship God and so you might come to this point well, before I get to that, let, let's just look on the screen one more time. Grace, why don't you put that back up for us? Just all these different things uh, that, that come up. Maybe uh, two more ahead. Sorry, Grace. The one that says all of the different slides. If that's on there, hopefully. That one, perfect. Thank you, Grace. You can see this, just how we unpack all these different things that we walk in love just as the how-to, Christ's love, the standard, who, us, the example, gave himself up for us. The key to godly love is an, an, it's an offering and a sacrifice to God is our motivation. First of all, I just want to pause and say, what that is, what we just did is called observing the text. It's like where you just go to the word and you just take it phrase by phrase, word by word, and you say, what does this mean to me? Sometimes you can use Google or you can use a Bible dictionary, but you can do this yourself. You can take something word by word and look through it, and God can show you something special in this. But you might look at this and you might say, Drew, this, is, this isn't really talking about romantic love. This isn't talking about, this. talking about this general love, and, and you're partly right, you're partly right that this is talking about more than just romantic love, but it's not excluding romantic love because in this same chapter, just about 18 verses later, we start to see these teachings on what it means to, to be in a marriage between a wife and a husband. And so I want you to go ahead and skip down to verse 21 for me because it's going to contain the greatest summary of what we just read in verse 2. As we unpack it phrase by phrase, it's going to relate to this romantic love, and we're going to see it right here in verse 21. Let's read Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. It says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is coming right on the beginning point of this conversation about marriage. If your Bible has uh, the subheadings, mine says instructions for Christian households. Some of them are going to say instructions for a husband and a wife or instructions for a marriage. And the first thing out of the gate is it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's the major key. This is the, the number one factor, I believe in walking in love the way the Bible says to do it. Submission is the clearest biblical key to godly relationships. Submission is the clearest biblical key to godly relationships. What we're talking about tonight is this word, submission. If you want to have a God-honoring type of love mark your life, then you must have the right understanding of what it means to submit. That is the word tonight. If you're taking notes or if you're sort of remembering certain things in your mind, or you're writing them down in your phone, the word submission, the word submit, is really our key word for unlocking what it means to love God's way. And typically when we think about submission around marriage, we get this sort of ooey feeling because we've, we've taken what's next in the chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, and we've, we've really hyper fixated and focused on verses 22 through 33, but we sort of skip over verse 21. And a lot of times when we hear the word submit, we think about, uh, you know, just maybe one of the two parties being this in power player, or many times it's the husband having power or control over his wife. And it becomes this sort of weird vibe when we talk about submission. And it's sort of the unspoken thing amongst Christians in this time. And, and, and it's probably a question that you have many times when I sit across the table at a coffee shop from a student and they say, you know, ex- help me understand, like, how does, how does it work between you and Holly? Like, who makes the decisions and, and who submits to who? And, and these are questions that sort of run through our minds. And, and I want to say that, that usually, many times, people have used this passage of submission for the exact opposite purpose of what God is trying to teach here is the key to love. They use it for power instead of for submission. What's coming next in Ephesians chapter five are these commands to wives and husbands, and they get highlighted first, though, by verse 21, which says that we should submit to one another. Long before we read about a wife, how she should act towards her husband or how a husband should act towards a wife, the Bible starts right this conversation, and it says right here that we should submit to one another. Another And so let's do this again. Let's break down this verse as we move towards the tables again for our second half. The, the first word that we see in verse 21 is submit. So if that's our key word tonight, we should unpack what it is and unpack what it is not. So if, if a key to, to godly loving is submission, then we need to f- define what it is. And, and what's going to be on the screen here is actually the Greek word. And, and it's it looks like hypo, but it's not hypo. It's actually Hupo tasso, H O O P O is how you'd say it, but it's hypotasso, is how it's spelled, hupo tasso. And it's this phrase used actually with two words coming together. And the two words are hupo, which means under, and tasso, toso, which means to put. So it's this idea, what, what the word submission actually means is to, to put yourself under, to, to lower something under the other place. So submission literally means to put yourself under someone else. To put yourself under someone else's preferences or or under someone else's ways of doing things, like you wouldn't do it that way. Or your need to be right, or your need to be in control, or your need to be in power. It's the exact opposite of a power grab. It's actually the opportunity to to have a weakness grab. (laughs) To say, how can I grab weakness that I might lift someone else up? It's lowering yourself, not elevating yourself. And this is why it's so critical to godly love because most relationships begin to break down when the seeds of selfishness begin to sprout. Most really, if you think about it, think about if your parents, you know, if you've experienced divorce in your life or in your family or, or if you've experienced a, a breakup that was just epic or if you've experienced, you know, just these sort of startup relationships that just fizzle out or they turn to sin quickly, like the thing that always is the beginning point and usually is what is expanding is this idea of, of selfishness sprouting. Submission has nothing to do with, with who has more power. It's actually the opposite. It's who can get their way the least. Who can, who can outdo each other in submission. If you're taking notes tonight, you may wanna write this down. If, if a relationship is built around acquiring power, then it's built upon selfishness. But if it's built around giving away power, then it's built on submission. If you think about your relationships or the ones that you hope to have one day or your parents' relationships, is it more about this sort of power grab of acquiring power or is it more about giving away power and serving and considering someone else and and letting them have their way and it's almost this competition between the two? Think about Jesus, He, he didn't acquire power, he gave away all of his power. He gave away his power to us. He gave away his power to those around him. When he was there, he was constantly lowering himself even from heaven to earth. And then while he was on earth, in the way that he lived, and then even in his death, he lowered himself to give away power. This is the idea of, submission, of submitting. So are you thinking about getting your way? Are you thinking about how I'm going to make decisions? Are you thinking about how I'm going to be served? If those are the things that you're thinking about, then you're sunk from the start. Your relationship is already sprouting selfishness in the beginning. And the next phrase after submit is is it says, to whom we are to submit is to one another. To one another. To whom are we to submit? To one another. This verse is about submission in verse 21. It's this hinge point of the chapter. And what I want you to see is many times, like if you have uh, some translations, verse 21 is actually before this subheading about marriage, right? Your subheading about marriage starts in verse 22. And then other translations like mine, it, it puts it actually the subheading of marriage starts at verse 21. And it's this question of where does this verse belong? Does it belong with the relationships or does it just belong to the individual and how they love their, their church or how they love non-believers to submit to one another? It's this question that many people have wrestled over, and I I want to say to you that I believe it's for both. It's the reason that it's right there in the center. Remember these original letters? They didn't have the subheadings. It's just them writing like you would write a letter. And I really believe that this is a hinge point in the chapter to say that even in the same way that you have loved others by submitting yourself, you have also loved your spouse. You have loved your significant other. Simply put, the calling to submit to one another is the same for all Christians. The calling is this, is to deny yourself. When you became a believer, God said to you, hey, it's, it's time to deny yourself. That's what Jesus said. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And that was the question for you. Will I deny myself? Will I love my neighbor as I love myself? Will I love others more than I love myself? Will I love God? These are questions of denying ourselves, And those questions have nothing to do with, do I have a marriage certificate? Or do I have a relationship status on Facebook? These are questions of, am I a believer? And so the calling for the single person is the same calling for the person who's dating or the person who's engaged or the person who's married or who's widowed, It's that we would deny ourselves, that we would submit ourselves to all around us, no matter who you are, the calling is the same, to lower yourself, to consider others, to consider God above yourself. And so two thoughts before we go to the next discussion thing uh, at the table right here as we have our discussion time, our next thing. Two thoughts I just want to leave you with is, is this is not to say that you should always submit in a relationship. I want you to hear me say This is not to say that you should always submit in a relationship. In the same way that you should not honor your parents, which is one of the Ten Commandments, you should not honor your parents if they ask you to dishonor God. You should not honor your government if they ask you to dishonor God. You should not honor your boss or your roommates if they ask you to dishonor God. You're God and in the same way if, if in your relationship or in a roommate situation or, or any type of relationship, whether it's romantic or not, if it is calling you to submit in, in such a way that would make you dishonor God, then then you should not do that. Because there might be someone in this room who, who feels as though this verse means that they need to stay in this relationship that is about power. The other person is, is expressing some sort of sinful power over them some sort of oppression over them, or, or they're, they're caught up in sin with someone, and they think, well, I'm just supposed to submit. I'm supposed to submit. And the Bible is not telling us to do this. If you're in a relationship where submission is being twisted to keep you with a God-dishonoring partner, then you should not submit. And, and I, could, I would lovingly tell you, you should run far away as quickly as possible, because that is not the desire that God is trying to put in your life for dating. And the second thing is this before we go to the tables, considering that most of you in this room are not married yet, and most of you are probably not engaged, and many of you are probably not dating anyone seriously. I think a question to ask, sort of a litmus test for your heart is, is why do you think that you'll act in submission to a spouse or to a serious significant other? Why do you think you'll act in submission well to them if you aren't presently submitting to others right now when you're single? I mean, think about how how do you, respect or submit to your mother or your father? How do you respect or submit to your boss? How do you respect or submit to the people who are over you in your university program, your professor, professors? How do you submit to your friends? How do you serve them? How do you lower yourself? Would you, would you describe yourself with that phrase, hopo That that idea of submission, putting yourself, your preferences under theirs, your way under theirs? You're not just in some holding pattern waiting for marriage. Like this, this is the time to submit. This is the time to deny yourself. These days matter and you're building something. And the question is, is it selfishness or is it submission? This is what will jumpstart a great relationship is if you're already great or getting great at submitting and serving others and not getting your way, then when God connects the dots on a relationship for you, if that happens man, that you're going to be ready for that relationship. But if you're just building up selfishness, I spend my money my way, I spend my time my way, I, I do the things I want to do, and I never consider anyone else, much less hardly ever God, then when you get into marriage, you're just bringing someone else into that sin splash zone that's just ready to get whammed. So now is not a time to wait. Now is the time to practice these things, to build up selflessness, to build up submission even if you're single, and especially if you're dating, especially if you're engaged, and especially, especially if you're married. So let's take a break here for this next section. I'm going to give you about eight minutes or so uh, to, t- to discuss. This is sort of the main discussion time, and then I'm just going to close out our teaching on the back end of this, and then we'll move into a couple songs of worship. So table leaders, go ahead and take it over now.
1: Discussion questions, part two. Question one. Now that we have defined submission and that it is for all people, single through marriage. Read Ephesians 5, 21 through 30. How does the tone change for these verses when you consider the starting verse as verse 21, where we are told to submit to one another? How might it feel different if you just started in verse 22 and didn't read verse 21? Question two. Do you find it easy to submit now to your parents, professors, bosses, or friends? Why do you think people just assume they will be good at submission when they are married, but in the present practice mostly selfish living? Question three. What do you think it looks like in a relationship to give away power as opposed to working to acquire it?
0: All right. All right, everybody. We're going to uh, turn it back this way. just want to close this out and uh, and really finish what we have been uh, discussing here which is verse 21. I just want to finish this out together and then we're going to move right into a time of response, into a time of worship as we close out the evening. So uh, look back to verse 21 for me. Verse 21, remember we said, submit to one another. We got that far as we observed the text and kind of took it phrase by phrase. But then we now get to look to the second half. The next phrase is out of. So submit to one another, out of. This is another call to, to that motivation, right? It's our, it's our motivation. Why do we submit to one another? we're asking this question, what is the motivation? What is the why? Is it out of your love for someone else? Because we've already sort of discussed that that's really not sufficient. Is it, your, is it your feelings about them? Is it your attraction to them? Is it how much you like to spend time with them? All of these things are limited. All of these things are, are not going to last. That's why your motivation matters so much. And that's why the word is giving us this motivation right here. And it's this next phrase, out of reverence for Christ. That's what the, the, the next one is, and is the last one is really out of reverence for Christ. First was our motivation, but what is it motivating us towards reverence for Christ? The word reverence, it, it means respect, out of respect or out of honor for Jesus. So your why, it, your motivation, it matters, and it must be out of showing respect and honor and worship for Jesus, and, and that's why this, this it's so critical that, that we understand that the quality of, of our vertical relationship will directly impact or directly influence the quality of our horizontal relationships the quality of your horizontal relationships will be determined by the quality of your vertical relationship with god let me say it this way the deeper your faith in jesus your faithfulness to him your commitment to him to what's godly to what's good the easier it will be to submit to others simply put when it's easy to submit to god it's it's much easier to submit to someone else that's why it's so critical that we understand that it's not our motivation can never be. It can never be about how much the other person deserves it or how much I feel like it or how much I like them. That is, the, that is just cruising for breakup. That is cruising for divorce. Those things are fleeting, but when we're motivated to submit, to lower ourselves, to love someone, not by them, but out of reverence for Jesus, that's an eternal source That's an eternal thing that will never run out. One of the best ways that you can respect and honor someone is to imitate them. Many of you have heard the quote from Oscar Wilde that says this, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. You might've heard that first half, but the second half, I love the second half. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but that mediocrity can pay to greatness. When we're trying to, to honor, to respect, to love God, when that's our motivation, One of the greatest ways that that can happen is through imitation. And it's why in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, the very first verse we read tonight, what did we say? It said, imitate God. Imitate God's love. There's an imitation. And so how did Jesus love? I want to just close with this. How did Jesus love? How can we imitate Jesus in his submission, in the ways that he loved? How can we imitate that? And of course, Jesus was never married. Of course, Jesus never dated anyone. But we we certainly know that Jesus showed us love. He showed us submission. He showed us perfectly how to submit. We can easily imitate him, and and we can use that example and then apply it to our relationships as we are single, as we're dating, as we're engaged, as we're married. The first, I want to give you just three quick drive-bys of of the, the life of Christ of just examples of submission. There are probably dozens or hundreds that I could, that I could go through, but I wanna give you the three biggest ones, and we're not gonna read them, but I'm gonna summarize them. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write these verses down, they'll be on the screen. You can study them this week. The first one comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses one through 18. This is uh, towards the end of the Bible, but it's actually sort of reflecting back on this conversation that Jesus and the Father had together before Jesus came and before he did all of these amazing things that he did in his life and before the miracles were performed, before he was born, before he died on the cross, and it's this conversation between the Father and Jesus, and it's basically them looking at the old way of doing things. If you grew up around the Bible, or if you've studied your Bible a little bit, maybe you've been in scriptures class at your school. You remember in the Old Testament, what happened was, is, is to pay for sins. Every year they had to go, and they had to kill these animals, and there was this ritualistic cycle. The blood had to be spilled. The blood of the animal had to be spilled to pay for the sins of that year, and the sins going forward, and then they would rinse, wash, repeat every single year. And and in Hebrews chapter 10, it says that Jesus and the father are watching this and Jesus says to the father, he says, these things, sacrifices, these offerings, these burnt offerings, this way of doing things in the Old Testament that we read about, you, the father, you do not desire this. It's just this rinse, wash, repeat of sin and and killing and and repentance and sin. And and he says, father, you're not pleased with this. Verses eight through nine, he says, though there were Offered in accordance to the law, even though it was happening in the way that you you saw you saw it to go, it's like this is not fulfilling. And in verse nine, Jesus says, "Then he said here am I; I have come to do your will.'" Jesus says he sees this and he says, "I am." Consider where Jesus is—the Prince of Heaven, just I mean, exalted. The, the angels are worshiping him, like he's been there from the beginning of time. He was a part of creation. He's a part of all of these incredible moments, and and there's all of this attention and worship and power. And Jesus says this is not what is best and they can't do it. And so I'm gonna lower myself and I'm going to become the once and for all sacrifice for them. And so then he does it, he, he becomes a, a little boy and that little boy is, is born in a manger. He's not born as a king, but he's born as, as a lowly person and he's, he's constantly wandering, he's constantly homeless, he's constantly probably hungry and, and he's, he's experiencing all these things as a lowly person, not as a high up person. Think about all that Jesus gave up all the honor. And he left all of that. He submitted himself. He lowered himself. And that can be our motivation as we submit to other people. That if Jesus could leave that, then I could could leave my preference. The second one is John 13. John 13, 1 through 17. It's the very end of Jesus's life. And he's sitting there the night before he's going to be, the night that he's arrested, the night that he's, before the weekend of the crucifixion and the, the resurrection, all that, he's at the last dinner with, with his disciples, with his friends. What will he say? What will he do? What are the things that are, priority, are a priority to him on this last night that he wants to cram into this last dinner with his friends? And the Bible talks about that, that he gets down on his knees and he takes a basin of water and a towel and, and he washes the disciples' feet. And this was such a gross backwards thing, like the lowest of the low, the servant should do this. It's so backwards that Peter, he's like always chatty. He's always talking and getting into trouble because his mouth's always open. And he just has a meltdown about it in front of all the disciples. And Jesus is like, Peter, this is what I'm trying to show you, that my love, my submission is backwards from everything you've ever understood. It's not about gaining power. It's about lowering myself and submitting myself to those that I love. And then he says, do what I do. He says, I have been an example to you. Now you go and do it to others. And so if your motivation is is yourself or your love or her looks or or his, you know, cool, whatever, it's like no, like that's going to flee, that's going to go away. But if your motivation is the submission that Christ had towards the Father's will and towards us, then there's something eternal about that. And the last and final thing comes from Luke chapter 22. It's this final scene of submission and it comes just really hours later after he's washed the disciples' feet. He and his disciples, they go, and they start to pray in this garden. And Jesus goes off, and it's essentially a part two of that Hebrews 10 chapter, right, where he was talking to the Father, and where they're making this, having this conversation about, I'll go and be this once and for all sacrifice. It's like this part two between Jesus and the Father. And if you remember, Jesus is just overcome by just heaviness and by the weightiness of what is about to happen as the sins of the world are going to be put upon his shoulder, as the wrath of God that should have gone to you and me goes upon Christ. And Jesus is is experiencing this tension, the temptation to leave. It says that he was so pressed by the moment that he began to sweat drops of blood and that the angels had to come in to minister to Jesus. Think about the intensity of this moment. I would put before you, my friends, that this might be the most critical, important part in the history of the world. This moment right here, not, maybe even more so than, than the crucifixion, maybe even more so than the resurrection, is what's happening in this garden. Because it is the moment where Jesus decides, am I going to do what I said I was gonna do and submit, not my way, but to lower myself and to put the needs of someone else above my own? Or am I going to do what would be easier, what would be better, what would be less painful, what would be less difficult, what would be my preference? And Jesus even sort of says that. He says, Lord, if there's any other way I could do this, Father, I want to do it that way. But then he says, but not my will, your will. And in that moment, he takes the path of submission for you and me. If, If this is your motivation, like you'll get through every day, being able to submit to other people, to submit to, to your mom and dad, to submit to, to those people who are above you in power, to submit to, your, to relationships that begin in dating or as they get more serious or as you're engaged or as you're married, you can be motivated by that kind of eternal submission when you get your motivation out of reverence for Christ, out of honoring what he has done for us. But on your own, you'll always slip into selfish, selfishness. You'll always slip into selfishness. You must put that motivation out of reverence for Christ in front of you every single day. And so the call to all of us is the same. As we move into this time of response, as we're going to sing a couple of songs as we close tonight, I want you to just consider this call for all of us, even if you're not even close to dating someone, even if you've never dated someone in your life, even if you're called to singleness, the, the call is the same. For all of us. It's to die to ourselves, to submit to God's will, to submit to the needs of other people, to lower ourselves. And you and I can work on that right now. But the greatest threat to submission is selfishness. The greatest threat to submission is selfishness. And that's the last thing I want to leave you, is this threat of selfishness that you need to fight every single day. And therefore, the greatest threat to great relationships that honor God is selfishness. From the beginning, from single, the way you think about someone else, the way that you consider if you want to date them, to beginning the relationship, to getting serious in the relationship, to being engaged, to being married, selfishness is the greatest threat. And submission will always build you something that is God-honoring and blessed by him. We started this by talking about if you want to be great in relationships, how do you do that? If you want to be great in relationship, Ephesians chapter 5 1 says, imitate God in his love. Be an imitator of God's greatness. God is great at this. Do it like him. Let's pray. Father, we just we come before you now as a, as a group of people who we are obsessed with love. We are obsessed with relationships. It's all over our televisions. It's all over our smartphones. It's all over the books that we read. It's all over our minds when we're thinking about who we're going to meet and how we're going to meet them. And oh, I'm at this thing. And there's this girl at my table right now, and she's kind of cute. Lord, we're obsessed. That wasn't me, guys. That was y'all. I was just talking in y'all's voice there. Um, I'm married. Um, but Lord, we're obsessed with love. And Lord, yet we're so bad at it. It's so fleeting. The the gas tank is always on empty. It's always trending towards selfishness and never submission. God, would we get your greatness in front of us? Give us your eyes to see your greatness. God, that we might be able to have that be our motivation. Lord, that we might be able to have that be what moves us to love others, Lord. So as we move into this time, I'd ask now that the leaders, if you're you're a a leadership team member, uh, you're going to be on our prayer team tonight. You can start to make your way towards the back of the room. I'd ask everyone else, just if if you're comfortable to stand as we're going to move into this time of worship, stay in an attitude of prayer and of worship. We don't have the altars at the front tonight. I know some of y'all have been here before. We've had the altars, but maybe you just want to turn around in your seat, and you just want to sit or you want to kneel right there where you are and you just want to pray and say, Lord, honestly, I've just been so selfish. Like I don't even have a relationship and yet I've been so selfish and I need to reset towards submission. Or maybe you need to go to somebody tonight, and that, that back area over on that side of the room, not the coffee side, but the opposite side, you're going to see leaders just lined up there. They're just normal people like you and me. They, they don't have relationships figured out. They don't have submission figured out. They're just willing to pray with you. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to think that you're bad at relationships, or bad at being a Christian, or bad at being a person. They just want to pray with you. If you need someone to pray with you, you can do that tonight. We're going to go through these two songs together. I pray that you would connect to the Lord. Father, we ask that right now that your spirit would move in this room. Lord, as we close this night, Lord, would you seal these things with the Holy Spirit and encourage our hearts, Lord. God, will we look to your greatness and would your greatness and love and in submission be our motivation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.